This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. A lot of people are leaving the Biden administration. And I noticed that there were a bunch of black White House staffers who were leaving. One staffer one day and then a, and a few days later, another staffer or two. And Daniel Lipman is a reporter for Politico. I kind of came up with a list of people who were leaving uh, or who had left. 22 African-Americans have left since late last year. So he, like we, began thinking about what the cause was. And thought, let's explore what's going on here. There must be a bigger story because you just don't see this that often uh, in terms of lots of people leaving at once. And you might be surprised to hear what we found out. Coming up in this episode of Colors. November 30th, 2021, a mass shooting at Oxford High School. And one of my friends asked if we hear like these pops in the school. And that's when everything sort of happened. And four students were killed. Seven were injured. A young black student. Her name is Zoe Ture. She joins me and guest host Charlie Locke, who you might read frequently in the New York Times kids section to talk about what happened at her school, her activism and Uvalde. These kids, a lot of them were telling me that this experience learning about what happened in Uvalde was a real wake up call for them. It was definitely very upsetting to hear about Uvalde. And I remember um, that day I heard about it and I cried for a few hours. The impact of school shootings, a young black woman's perspective. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Charlie Locke, and I'm white. And this is Colors. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us. Charlie is our co-host today. Our topic today is shootings in schools, how they impact kids, and what one particular teenager is doing about it. And not long ago, I was talking to Charlie. Charlie was on this show, you remember, a couple of episodes ago. We're talking about uh, some issues that relate to kids. Another issue came up recently, so I asked Charlie if she would talk with us as a guest co-host today and sort of introduce us to someone who we could talk to about this issue. So, Charlie, um, you're a New York Times freelancer, but that doesn't do any justice to talking about how good you are at what you do. And I think one of the big things that you're really good at is talking to young people, which is a part of the reason why I wanted to have you. So welcome and thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So we have a guest today, and I'm wondering if you would introduce our guest for us. Yeah, of course. Gladly. 
Zoe Touré is an 18-year-old activist, uh, survivor, and a recent graduate from Oxford High School. And after the shooting at Oxford High School in November of last year, Zoe started a shirt campaign to help the affected families at her school. She actually started advocating for gun violence prevention at her first lobby day in Lansing, Michigan. Zoe, I'm so, so glad you're here with us. Thank you for talking with us. No, thank you for having me. I'm also glad to be here. Good. I wanted to start off by by asking you, you know, your generation of young people have had to grow up with school shooting and an awareness of school shootings in a way that's really different from generations before you. And I, I wanted to ask you, how much were you were you aware of school shootings as a kid in school? Did you have lockdown drills growing up? Was it something you were thinking about very much? Um, when I was younger, my parents weren't very open with me watching like the news and like Disney Channel and things like that. Like I know my mom made us watch PBS every day whenever we wanted to watch TV on the weekday. So I wasn't very aware of school shootings and things like that until Oxford happened. I remember having lockdowns, but I wasn't really scared because I didn't really know the severity of the situation. So I wasn't really super in tune when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm, I'm glad you were able to grow up without, um, being afraid of that or, or having to think about it too much when you were little. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, and you know, as much as you're comfortable with it, if you can tell us about November 30th, 2021, and um, kind of tell us about your day from, from getting up in the morning until coming home, whatever feels comfortable to share for you. Um, yeah, I won't get too much into it, but I, um, I remember when I got up that day, I wasn't in like a really good mood. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't a very good day for me. So I remember because me and my friends used to have this running joke about Bones Day that we got from TikTok. So it was pretty much where if it was a Bones Day, you were having like a really good, really productive, really just smiley, happy day. And if it was a no Bones Day, then it was not a good day. Like, don't bother me. And it's just very unproductive and stressful and annoying. And so I had been having like Bones Days all year and we were having a really good start to a senior year. And then November 30th, it was very much a no bones day for me. And so people were asking me all day, like, oh, Zoe, is it a, like a bones day or no bones day? Because we all would ask each other every day. And I remember saying no bones and everybody was so surprised because I'd been having like all these good days and like every day was a bones day for me. And all of my friends that normally have no bones days or bad days were having really good days or bones days. So we were like, what is going on? It's a very different type of day. And then I went to lunch and right before lunch was pretty still bad. And then my friends managed to cheer me up. And so after lunch is fifth hour, right before everything happened. And we were at the senior window, which is a place where Oxford students get to go or Oxford seniors get to go and hang out together and like just have a good time and stuff. And so you go before and after class, but we decided to go after lunch like we normally do before fifth hour. And one of my friends asked if we hear like these pops in the school. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't think I hear that. And a lot of my other friends said yes. And she goes, oh, it sounds like balloons or something like popping in the distance and I just didn't hear anything. And so we went to class and then that's when everything sort of happened. And I was like sitting with my friends, calling my mom, a lot of chaos. And then we escaped through the window and I kind of went home with a best friend after that. It took me a while to find my younger brother who also goes to Oxford. But after that, I was able to get to my best friend's house and waited for my mom to pick me up. So Zoe for walking us through that. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask, um, how did that day change you? Um, it's definitely made me more cautious and more like standoffish, but on guard at the same time. I'm definitely, 
I would consider myself a people person, but I am very skeptical of certain people now just because of everything that happened then. But it's just put me on my guard a lot more than I used to be. So what have you taken from that day that you believe helps you through your other days moving forward and motivates you? Is there anything in particular that you look back on from that day or since that day that has sort of become a driver for you? Um, just losing friends probably is my biggest motivation and everything that a lot of me and my friends went through because I was closer with some students and I wasn't as close, but I knew of all of them. So it was really difficult for me to have to deal with that. And a lot of my friends have to deal with that. So just the fact that we lost those friends and that I wouldn't want that to happen to any other school, it really does drive me to want to fight for this motive. I wanted to ask you about, um, after November 30th, about, uh, I'm, about what what it was like for you to decide to get involved and to get involved in this issue and take a stand and be so vocal. I, I imagine there was a lot of recovery on your own that happened first, and I wonder if there was a moment or a time that made you decide to get involved more publicly in this issue. I mean, it definitely was, I would say my parents, because it all started in February when March for Our Lives kind of reached out to me through Instagram, and they DM'd me and asked me to speak at a Michigan-based event, so in Lansing, and I never, I didn't even know Lansing was the capital of Michigan. So when they asked me to come speak at the capital in Lansing, they DM'd me about it and wanted me to come do a lobby day, and I had no idea what that was either, but once I found out more about it, it was a definite hard pass for me, and I was like, oh, nope, no, I'm not gonna even consider this. And I talked to my mom about it, and also my dad about it, and they were very adamant on the fact that they thought it would help me a lot, and get me through some of the things that I was going through. And they thought it'd be really a really cool experience for me. And my mom's a very firm believer in like speaking things into existence. And she's a very spiritual person. So she loves to say that I was meant for something. And she's been dreaming about things for me since the day I was in her womb. So she dreamt something like this for me. And so she's like, I really want you to do this. And I really want you to pursue it. And my dad also said that he could see something like this for me and how far like it would take me and it would get me out of kind of the funk that I was in. And so they really motivated me to do it. And after I had that lobby day, I actually ended up really liking it. So I decided to keep going with it. You've, you've continued to, to do this. And I'm interested in sort of figuring out how this has changed you um, or how it's improved you or helped you. Um, because I think a big part of what this whole experience may be about is reaching out to others and trying to help others um, through your experience. So um, what can you share with us about Zoe now as opposed to Zoe before? Um, Zoe now is way more confident than the old Zoe. I definitely was not confident at all before. And it took me a long time to get into finding my own voice. And I'm still not completely where I'd like to be, but it's made me a lot more confident and outgoing than, than I used to be. So the fact that I feel like I could help somebody else with what I've been through and help somebody else who might be going through that. It's given me a lot of confidence in that. I'm curious too, um, kind of how you have thought about making an impact, you know, 
it is so unfair that your generation needs to shoulder a lot of thinking about how to change this and how to stop this from happening again and how the experiences that you've had about speaking out since your experience has made you think about how to affect change or what kind of steps need to be taken um how we people can find hope or or take steps forward in a time like this um one thing that when i was just recently in washington i heard from ayanna presley i asked her what could young people do or what could we do that we haven't already been doing and she gave me a really almost motherly answer and i really loved what she said and she said that if you guys want to like i know you guys have been doing a lot and been getting involved but honestly to take care of yourself mentally to make sure you're taking care of yourself. And that was a really powerful thing to me because I've been doing a lot of like trying to advocate and a lot of interviews over the past couple like days and a lot of things that I thought were really helpful for me to get the message out there so that we could get some change, but I also wasn't really taking care of myself. So I had to leave a few live meetings crying or a few really upset and I wasn't really taking care of myself at the end of the day. So I would love for young people to get involved and to fight for the messages that we've been fighting for with much of our lives but to also make sure they take care of themselves because it can be a very mentally daunting task. Yeah, that's definitely, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I definitely wanted to hear from you about that march. And by the way, for those who may not be familiar, Ayanna Presley is the, uh, she's a congressional representative and I believe she's from the seventh district of Michigan. And uh, she's been very vocal about a number of different, um, aspects of safety, life for children and for women, women of color specifically. And uh, I think that was a great opportunity for both of you, for her to to learn from you and you from her. But um, so the June 11th March for Our Lives, can you just uh, give us a description of how that went for you and what you got and what you gave? Um, it was actually a really amazing experience for me. We definitely had a few hiccups, but that's to be expected. We had um, a lot of interviews that day, very, very busy day, but I thought all in all, it was a really amazing experience to see it come together because I was too young to remember the last March. I don't remember the last March happening and I heard a lot about it this year, but I wasn't around during that time. And so to actually see it come into fruition after talking so much with David and Zoe Rector Brooks and Noah and all the different people that I met getting it to see it like actually blossom and bloom was really, really cool. So it was really nice to see all that happen. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. One thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, Zoe, I, I interview kids. You're not a kid anymore, but I I interview (laughs) kids a lot for uh, my work for the New York Times kids section. And last week I was talking to a bunch of middle school kids across the country who organized um, walkouts at their middle schools after the shooting. And um, these kids, a lot of them were telling me that this experience learning about what happened in Uvalde was a real wake up call for them, that they didn't (laughs) kind of know that that this could happen at a school like theirs, that that they weren't um, aware that this was something where they needed to really be vocal about the issue. And I, I'm, I'm curious, um, I guess, both what, what it's like for you to learn about the shooting in Uvalde or something like that, and, and also just about how you feel like uh, these school shootings and learning about them are shaping your, your generation, how you and your friends and peers kind of think about it and, and deal with this issue. It was definitely very upsetting to hear about Uvalde. And I remember um, that day I heard about it and I cried for a few hours 
And I'm not a very big crier. I don't like to cry a lot. So it was very frustrating. But I'm returning my phone on Do Not Disturb for the entire day. And I know me and my friends are really upset about it, too, because at the end of the day, I remember like looking at my phone and getting a call from one of my friends and asking, was I going to this bonfire that another one of my friends was planning? And I was like, oh, I wasn't invited to it. And I look at my phone, I have like 35 missed calls and like all these text messages about it and about other stuff because nobody really wanted to be alone that night. And everybody kind of wanted to get back together because we remember what that feeling was like and seeing that it was such young kids too was a very hard thing to think about and like experience so that's another thing that really motivated me to want to come to dc this week and as far as shaping my generation it's definitely made or at least in my opinion made us more fearful but it's also a very vulnerable time so it also helped us realize the moment that things needed to change or at least in my opinion that's what i was yeah well, you know, Zoe and Charlie, to me, you know, the change, I mean, yeah, this is about things changing for, for young people, but the change really needs to happen with the adults. I mean, it's the adults that keep kicking the can down the road and in some cases running down the road with the can, recognizing what's going to happen, knowing what's already happened. And just demonstrating no guts, just demonstrating no leadership at all, just letting this happen over and over and over again. And so, you know, you've grown up too fast. And, you know, I'm not your parent. And forgive me if if I seem like I'm trying to sound like that. But I'm an older guy who didn't have to deal with this when I was a kid. And it just really annoys me. It's it beyond annoys me. The young people have to deal with this today. And people are always talking about teaching kids and teaching the children. Look, this is, we need to teach us, the adults, the, the older people. So I'm going to get back in my lane here now and get off the soapbox. But <laughs> what is it that we're missing? Are, are we missing something? Or are we just hard-headed? Are we just stubborn? What, what is the issue here with the adults? I love everything you just said. <laughs> um, Thank you. I definitely, I wish I knew the issue. Maybe the, I feel like the glorification of guns and all that kind of stuff. I feel like guns can be very glorified. I feel like poverty plays a big part in it, but honestly, I feel like some adults can just be very, very hard headed. And I do hear the phrase that kids are hard headed a lot, but I think that we can all be hard headed if this situation is, and this issue is still occurring. And it's been, years and years in the make, like in the making. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, one thing I, I wanted to ask you about is, um, I think there is so often, a um, kind of a, a lack of action and an acceptance of the way that things are from adults, as opposed to young people who, uh, kind of have the energy and, and maybe just the fresh eyes to see that we don't have to live the way that we're living. And I'm curious for you as someone who is as a very recently an adult and you're kind of moving into this different phase of your life, how you think about, um, how you think about that, how you think about kind of carrying forward the, the energy and hope that you have and that you have had as a teenager and a high school student as you kind of move into this adult, adult world where things are much more uh, set. <laughs> um, I definitely still see my, like myself as a kid. So it's a really, it's a really funny question. But um, 
I definitely think that a lot of older people can be set in their ways, but I also don't hold it too much against some adults. Like I know I have different opposing opinions, say than like my mom. So like, there's a lot of different opinions with like generations now with LGBTQ awareness and like gun violence awareness. So there's a lot of different opinions, but I don't hold it all towards adult or even towards kids because I know that different generations were just taught different things and went through different things. So I try too hard not to hold it against each generation. But as a young person coming into the older generation, I do want to like, kind of like in a political aspect, like blow it up. Like I do want to like get adults to try to think the way that we do, but I also not to see some of their opinions through their eyes too, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I hope you can do that. <laughs> I Thank hope you can you. change everything, please. <laughs> Thank you. I don't, I don't have any doubt you will. And there are so many other people like you that are out there that are working with you. All, all you guys need is for us to listen. And that's a part of the reason why the Colors podcast, I think, is a great opportunity to spread this message. So I'm going to ask you one more thing, and then I'll let Charlie finish up. But, but what is it? What is the ask? What is it that you want America, adults, people in this country to do? right now, moving forward? We want our children to be safe. So I would try to sum it up in as few senses as possible, but just that we want safer gun laws so our kids don't have to feel threatened every day. I feel like America has become, and not even just for kids, a hunting ground for everyone. So grocery stores, schools, churches, like there's been shootings everywhere I've looked this week. I've been in meetings and gotten notifications about a different shooting that's happening in that meeting. So just that we will not sit idly by while you sign America's death warrants. That's excellent. Yeah. It's a really powerful message. Yeah. 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 I, I think that the last thing just that I wanted to ask you is about um, how, how you found it really effective to communicate to adults. And if you have any thoughts on how to kind of push people out of stasis about this and how you have, uh, how you found ways to get people to really listen to this or kind of how to really affect change around it. Um, I definitely find it difficult with certain adults. I know we've had a lot of meetings this week with Democrats and both Republicans. So it's definitely been a little difficult to navigate that, but the easiest way that I found for people to listen and a lot of people are very understanding is just kind of telling my story and what I went through specifically like at Oxford playing on people's heartstrings what is the i think it's called like pathos pathos i learned in like ela so like playing on people's pathos emotions and in the best way possible has been my way to get people to understand and listen to me yeah (laughs) unfortunately i have to do that but that's the way that i've got people that yeah i'm sorry you have to do that too but i'm i'm grateful to you for for opening people up to the way that this isn't how we have to live uh, you know, I'm Thank sorry you. you have to do it too, but I'm glad if somebody's got to do it, that is you doing it because you clearly know what you're doing. Um, maybe, you know, what happens now is other people start watching you closer, start watching how you navigate this and, and learn from it. Zoe, um, we've reached our limit today. I want to thank you for taking time to chat with us today. And a part of, to be clear about this, a part of what's happening today is we did not want to overwhelm you with all these professional questions, acting like professional journalists, because as you said, you're 18, uh, and we want to take care of you as much as we can and um, demonstrate that in the way in which we engage. But we knew you could answer hard questions, which you did, 
And I'm so grateful that you took time to talk with me and Charlie today. Charlie? Thank you so much, Zoe. Yeah, I'm just really grateful to you for for being willing to have these conversations. And I hope that you also really can take the time for yourself and, and draw some hard limits around how much you engage with this. I'm, I'm really grateful to you for talking to us. Thank you for letting me speak. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Zoe, we're going to let you go. Um, and Charlie and I are going to come back after this break. And we're going to talk a little bit about what we learned today. And uh, you'll hear a little bit. This is for the audience. A little bit about what's coming up in our next show. Great. Thank you. Charlie Locke and I will be back right after this reflection on race in America. You're listening to Colors. My name is Tony McAleer. Uh, I'm a Canadian living in Vancouver, British Columbia, and my ethnicity is English Irish. I, I I grew up an affluent kid. Went to private school. You know everything was you know uh, really good. And I walked when I was ten. I walked in on my dad with another woman, and that really sort of rocked rocked my world and and lost all trust and authority and and. It really sort of sent me, I went from an A and a B student to a C and a D student and uh, I went to Catholic school. And at that time, you know, they tried to beat the grades into me. And I remember being in that office over and over and over again, you know, getting hit on the rear end with a meter stick or a yardstick. And to this day, I don't think I've ever felt more powerless than I did in that office over and over and over again. And I was not a tough kid growing up. Uh, and when, when I came across, you know, skinheads and met them and I was terrified of them, but I was also drawn to them because they had the one thing I didn't, and that was toughness. And what I got from joining uh, with those guys is people feared me for the first time, not because of me, but because of who I, who I was. And I got power when I felt powerless, I got acceptance uh, and approval when I felt unlovable and I got attention when I felt invisible. And it's, I think it's, when we have a deficit of these things in our lives, those are the vulnerabilities which make these movements seductive because they offer a false shortcut to get those things. I didn't have power. I had the perception in my mind that I did, but I didn't have power. The birth of my my daughter and my son 15 months later, and by the time they were four and six, I was a full-time single father. And I saw my humanity reflected back at me through their, through their eyes. And my mom had to help me you know, raise them. And she taught me a very important lesson about compassion. Her love for me was unconditional, but her relationship with me was very conditional. And she used that to leverage me away from going to events and social circles and and that type of thing. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Charlie, (laughs) thank you for bringing Zoe to this program because you know, I've had a lot of conversations on this podcast, a hundred and some, you know, and that conversation, even though it's happening at a very difficult time, was very uplifting for me. It was inspiring to me. I, I you know, enjoyed is not the right word, but I actually benefited greatly from being able to engage with her. Thank you for, for bringing her to this show. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for creating the, the space and the forum for having conversations like this. She is so, so thoughtful about this and so generous to be able to talk about it. And 
I agree with you. It, it, it's really upsetting to hear about what young people have to do to bring attention to this, but I'm really grateful to her for doing such an effective job at, at showing how urgently we need to we need to enact gun, gun control. Yeah. This doesn't end here. You know, there there will be more programs like this, more podcasts like this, where we talk about these issues. And, you know, in your work, uh, you know, you do a lot. I mean, you move around a lot as well. And I'm just kind of interested in what are you going to take away from this? Not not necessarily this podcast, but from this engagement with Zoe and, you know, the March for Our Lives and everything that's taken place. Because, you know, today, the 13th of June, there were overnight, at least over the weekend, another 12 people killed in mass shootings. So this is clearly not something that's ending right now. So I'm wondering where you're going to go from here. I think the biggest takeaway for me is that we we have to maintain energy and hope around changing this and making a better world for kids and for all Americans. You know, I think Zoe talked about it very eloquently, but Kids and young people shouldn't be responsible for for creating change here. It's on the adults, including me and you and our listeners. And I think that we really need to step up and make this world safer for young people and, and listen to them and take them seriously. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? What do you feel like you're, you'll, you'll take away from, from learning from Zoe? I'm going to be honest with you. <clears throat> when I saw her... I got angry. And part of the reason why I got angry is because she's so young. And I, you know, I, I'm thinking back about, and I'm not angry because she's young and is doing as well as she's doing and talking about this, because as you said, she's really good at, you know, sharing and, you know, inspiring and talking about this. But she shouldn't have to. I mean, just looking at her when I was 18 years old, you know, I mean, gosh, man, (laughs) there was nothing like this going on. I just had a different life and I just want that life for her. I want it for other kids. And it just made me angry about so many beautiful kids that are gone. That won't have a chance. That's kind of what I'm messing with right now. Honestly, JJ, I think that anger is really important to hold on to. I think that that anger fuels taking action and and joining up and following the leads of these young people who are pushing for change. I think that that anger can give us energy to change this. And anger is totally justified. It is it is a tragedy every time that one of these one of these shootings happens and that any of these kids are harmed and I, I think we have to remember that we can't get jaded by how often it's happening I think remembering and, and being able to um, kind of combat the fatigue of it uh, is really really essential and Anchor can help us do that Thank you Charlie I appreciate that I'm JJ Green and I'm black. I'm Charlie Locke, and I'm white. And this is Colors. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. 
you can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. The Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade. It's uh, deeply, deeply disturbing and enraging. Andrea Mercado, executive director of Florida Rising, an organization designed to empower economic and racial justice. We are going back in time and we are um, regressing. She says some specific populations will be harmed more than others. Black and Latina women in particular for for, uh, people of color in general. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. I want to say thank you to a bunch of people for their help. Mike Chikaitis, Hillary Howard, Joel Oxley, Ellie Rowe, Julia Ziegler, Christian Bartolin, Shamara Morrison, Sue Ann Lee, Ernie Green, yeah, that Ernie Green, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane, thank you for our music. And I want to make a special thank you today to Gary Fitzgerald II. He wrote to us and said some really good things about this podcast that we just did last week regarding black staffers leaving the Biden administration. Gary, thank you for listening. Thank you to all of you for listening. I appreciate your support. And I just want to say, as we continue to work our way through our lives, let's not forget to keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.